Well, I ended the sermon last week with a cliffhanger. Why is John given two different visions of the new Jerusalem descending from heaven? And I know that you have hardly been able to sleep this week, waiting for the answer. By way of reminder, the book of Revelation is broken into four different visions, and each vision is marked by the phrase, in the Spirit. In chapter 1, John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. In chapter 4, John is taken in the Spirit to the throne room in heaven. In chapter 17, John is in the Spirit in the wilderness. And today, John is taken in the Spirit to a mountain. So notice that the movement today is from wilderness to mountain. Wilderness to mountain. Last week, while John was in the wilderness, he was given a vision of the very end, the final state of creation. No tears, no mourning, no pain, no death, all things made new. And today, John is relocated in the Spirit to a mountain, and he is given vision number four. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So, just like last week, John sees the bridal city descend from heaven. However, the the description of the city this time is different. The first time John sees the bridal city, it is perfectly pristine. The beauty and the purity of this bridal city is uncontested because the enemies have been vanquished. But the second time John sees the bridal city, she continues to face these external threats. She must be guarded from sin and lies and unclean things. So what's going on here? Why, why the difference? Well, back in week one, I said that the book of Revelation can only be properly understood within the context of the rest of the Bible. When John talks about a wilderness or a mountain or gemstones or streets of gold or pearly gates, he's borrowing that imagery from the rest of the Bible. And in the Bible, the movement from wilderness to mountain is actually a common movement. Moses begins in the wilderness, but he is eventually elevated to a mountain. David begins in the wilderness, but he is eventually elevated to a mountain. Ezekiel begins in the wilderness, but he is eventually elevated to a mountain. And in each of those cases, each of those three cases, the man on the mountain is given a set of blueprints. God gives Moses blueprints for a tabernacle. God gives David blueprints for a temple. And God gives Ezekiel blueprints for an even greater temple. That is what is happening here in Revelation 21. Having passed through the wilderness, John is given a vision on a mountain. John, God gives John blueprints for a new temple. Blueprints for the church. John's fourth vision reveals what God intends for the church to be in the world. We have been commissioned to build a holy city, and these blueprints reveal what we're building toward. So, last week, John saw the church in her final glory, and this week, John sees the church in her temporal glory. He sees the church at two different phases in history. 
the church at the end of history and the church in the midst of history. So uh, the visions are arranged in reverse order, but that's not uncommon in the Bible. For instance, the, the authors of the New Testament often encourage us to become something by reminding us that we are that thing already. We are holy, and so we should be holy. We are dead to sin, and so we should put sin to death. We are secure in Christ, and so we should persevere in Christ. We are unified in the Spirit, and so we should pursue unity. We are called to be in the present what we are and what we will be in the future. And so John shows us what the church is going to be in the end, at the very end, and then he shows us what the church ought to be in the meantime. He describes the destination, and then he describes the journey. So let's look at this blueprint. John sees the church descending from heaven, having the glory of God. The church is a shining, bedazzled, radiant city. And the nations are depicted bringing tribute to her, bringing tribute into this holy city. It has a high wall, 144 cubits thick. That's 72 yards. It has 12 gates marked with the names of the 12 tribes. It has 12 foundations marked with the names of the 12 apostles. The church is a four-square city. Its length and width and height are all equal. So it's an enormous cube. The width of the cube is the equivalent of Houston to Philadelphia. And the height of the cube is the equivalent of 260 Mount Everests. The city is made of pure gold. The foundations are adorned with every kind of precious gemstone. And each of the 12 gates is made of a single pearl. Okay, so unless this description is symbolic, that is quite the oyster, right? These are, these are obviously not literal descriptions. These are symbolic descriptions of the church. And so we, we probably need to do some deconstructing here because Revelation 21 is where we get most of our pop culture ideas of, about what heaven looks like. Streets of gold, pearly gates, right? But John is not describing heaven. John is describing the holy city that descends from heaven. He's describing the church, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, who is the Lamb. The church is a radiant city. We are, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles. And because the Lamb is in our midst, we are the light of the world. Jesus wants the nations of the world to learn how to walk from us. We are surrounded by massive walls. We are defended on every side. We are perfectly secure. And yet, our gates are always open. We are constantly welcoming others into the city to partake of its glory and to contribute to its glory. So we, we could go on for hours exploring what each of these details reveals about the nature of the church. Um, but I want to focus on the fact that the city is described as a cube. Because the blueprints given to Moses featured a cube, and the blueprints given to David featured a cube, and the blueprints given to Ezekiel featured a cube. 
And the cube shape is a reference to the Holy of Holies. Now, there's a diagram in your bulletin, actually, if you want to visualize this. Um, But the Holy of Holies was the inner sanctuary within the tabernacle and temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was located. This is where the presence of God was understood to be located. The Holy of Holies was the dwelling place of God on the earth, the place on earth corresponding to the throne room in heaven. And the Holy of Holies was set apart by a thick curtain or a veil. There was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and from the rest of the world. And this was the veil that was torn when Jesus was crucified. So the sacrifice of Christ has removed the barrier between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the world. So what does it mean that the New Jerusalem is described as a cube? What does it mean that the church is described as a cube? It means that the church has become the Holy of Holies. The church is the Holy of Holies. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There is no temple in the city because the city is a temple. For Moses and David and Ezekiel, the, the, the temple had gradations of holiness. As you moved through the temple toward the Holy of Holies, things became more and more holy. But in Revelation 21, that's no longer true. The entire temple is the Holy of Holies. The entire New Jerusalem is the Holy of Holies. Because that veil has been torn, the church is the Holy of Holies. The church is the dwelling place of God on earth. The church is the throne room of God on earth. And this has, this has major implications for the world and our place within it. Verse 24. By its light, the light of the new Jerusalem, the light of the church, will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Once again, John sees the church in the midst of history. This is an image of the church under construction. The glory of God gives light to the church, and by that light, the nations are learning to walk. Not only that, but the nations are contributing their glory to the church. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of God. Now, if you think about it, this is very similar to how the Roman Empire functioned in the midst of the nations. Caesar was the supreme leader, and Rome was at the center of the empire, and the surrounding nations were called to bring tribute into the capital city, tribute to Caesar. But now Jesus is the supreme leader, the Caesar of Caesars. The new Jerusalem is at the center of the empire, and the nations are being called to bring tribute into that city. 
The church is the capital city of the empire of Christ. Now, if that, if that sounds a bit too triumphalistic for you, remember, John is sharing this vision with an army of martyrs. With an army of martyrs. And so, yes, admittedly, this is triumphalistic, but it's still the way of the cross. It's still the way of the cross. Jesus willingly goes to his death. Jesus is vindicated and raised from the dead. Jesus is is exalted over all nations. And the same is true of his followers. His followers willingly go to their deaths. His followers are vindicated and raised from the dead. His followers are exalted above the nations. But the nature of that exaltation often looks like martyrdom. We could say the same thing in terms of the Holy of Holies. The church is an open sanctuary on the earth. The nations are no longer excluded from this dwelling place of God. There are no more curtains. There are no more dividing walls. There are no more gradations of holiness. Every Christian is a high priest ministering in the Holy of Holies. Imagine how powerful that image would have been for the Jewish Christians, for the Jewish followers of Christ who had been worshiping in that temple for centuries. Jesus has torn the veil and everyone is welcome to enter. From the Roman Caesar down to the newborn child of a slave, everyone is welcome to enter. Because the church is the Holy of Holies, the entire world has unmediated access to God. Now, the nations are not permitted to bring unclean things, but the nations are invited to enter the holy city and to see her beauty and to to give tribute to the king and to learn to walk in the light of the Lamb. And this actually happened, by the way, back in 1 Kings. Um, The nations come to meet with King Solomon, to learn from him, to see the beauty of the temple, and to pay tribute to the God of Israel. The Queen of Sheba contributes gold and spices and precious stones. And the King of Tyre contributes musical instruments and fine-grained wood. And this same idea is, is all over the Bible, if you look for it. Psalm 72, may kings render tribute and bring gifts May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Isaiah 2. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and all the nations shall flow to it. Isaiah 60. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Ezekiel 38. The nations will know that I am the Lord when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Zechariah 8, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And Malachi 1, in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations. This is exactly what Revelation 21 is describing. The Great Commission is a call for the church to gather in the obedience and tribute of the nations. 
to call the kingdoms of the world to become the kingdoms of Christ, to become kingdoms of Christ. The Great Commission is a call to build the new Jerusalem according to the blueprints we have been given. Go, therefore, disciple the nations, bring the light and life of the city of God to the darkness and death of the cities of man. Worship faithfully, witness boldly, work diligently. Take the word and the water and the bread and the wine and and give the world a makeover. Renew all of it. That is the Great Commission. The transforming power of the gospel is not limited to the human heart. It's not just here. And it's not just at the very end of history. John sees a new world order with political and social and cultural implications. If our gospel does not have political and social and cultural implications, our gospel is too small. When we build according to these blueprints, we we raise the bar for the nations. When the church is the holy and unified city of God, the nations get discipled. The cities of man are greedy and consumeristic, but the city of God is a place of thankfulness and and contentment. The cities of man are violent and murderous, but the city of God is a place of peace and protection for the oppressed. The cities of man are sexually immoral and dystopian, but the city of God is a place of chastity and faithfulness. The cities of man exploit the earth to maximize profit, but the city of God cherishes and stewards creation. The cities of man place their hope in the next great leader, but the city of God hopes in a king who reigns forever. So, so listen, we are not playing around here. We're not playing around here. The church is not just a good place to raise your kids. The church is not a religious country club. We are the living embodiment of the truest thing in the universe. We are the living embodiment of the holy city of the living God. And we are living and loving and and worshiping and praying and singing God's future into the present. As of 2022, the Western church appears to be in a state of decline, right? She is facing all sorts of problems. And many people are saying that the best days of the church are behind us. They're saying we should expect evil to increase and wickedness to triumph. They're saying we should just hunker down and wait for Jesus to come rescue us. Don't believe that. Do not believe that. Jesus has given us the blueprints, and the, and the blueprints reveal that the church's best days are still in the future. If the first century martyrs could hope in a better future, then surely we can find the faith to hope in a better future. Our task is to look realistically upon the age we've been given to steward and then to worship 
and to witness and to work faithfully. Full of faith. Full of faith. We have to have faith because the the victory has already been won, but it takes faith to see that and to believe that. From a worldly perspective, there there is nothing particularly impressive about us. No offense. But we know that the church is the radiant city of God in the midst of the cities of man. And because the Lamb is reigning in our midst, the nations will surely come. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it has always been your desire to dwell with us. Um, And we thank you for making a way for making us into your dwelling place. Jesus, you have torn the veil. You have taken the throne. You have promised to be with us always. You are a good king. Holy Spirit, bring us, bring your church globally into greater alignment with with this mountaintop vision, with these blueprints. And when our neighbors come in to our church, may they know and feel that they are in your presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.